Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, uh, I would say, yeah, I'm really glad to be home, but it's really hard because I went away and, I, and you feel things happening in the atmosphere in the church and you feel that God's really doing stuff. And it's almost hard for me to focus because I so feel what he's doing in my life and in the life of the church, that it's changing everything, that I can't just get up anymore and just, just give sermons about things and talk about stuff. I've given enough good sermons. You've heard enough good sermons for years. And it, it, not that it doesn't, not that God doesn't use people to preach the word, but we are a people in this church, I believe, that are going to see a great move of God like we haven't seen before. I really do believe that. And that's all I kind of care about. You know what I did when I went away? Not like you care, but you know what I did? My own private, any time I had, all I did was look at revivals. All I did was listen to sermons from people that had an incredible healing ministries and touched lives. I'm in Azusa Street. I'm listening to documentaries. I'm just, I'm everywhere. I'm all over the map because I know it's going to happen. And you see the culture of fear. You see people that are so afraid and they don't know where to go and they don't know where to turn. Well, you know what? There's going to come a time and a day shortly that they're going to realize the only place you can turn to is God and that Jesus is the name. Yeah, that is the name that is above all names names. And hopefully we are a people that are ready to bring the kingdom of God to this earth, that we would be people that God would use in a mighty way. Right? You want to be part of that? And I believe that. And it's not by accident. This is my favorite series of all time. I mean, listen, you had some great preaching from Pastor Linda. I'm just going back to what God hit us with as a church in January. So I'm just getting back into the book of Acts. And Pastor Linda was talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Closer than our breath. God is closer than our breath. And I, I, try, I keep saying that to myself over and over again. And I, want to kind of, I really want to get that on the inside of me. Right? Yes. So we're going to go back. You ready to go back into the book of Acts? Is that all right? Yes. Wow, you sounded really enthused. Yes. That was tepid at best. Yes. And, and I've, I've really enjoyed this. This is part seven. We started in January. And there's really no rush. It's kind of nice. And the last sermon that I gave, I, it was kind of one of those things. That morning we were in church. I've never done this before. I kind of just put that sermon away that I had prepared. And I still, I tried to bring it out again this week because I know it's good. And God wouldn't let me. He was kind of like, no, we're going in this direction. So we're going to be looking again. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 today. And it's going to be interesting to see how all this kind of unfolds. I have a freedom I've never had before in the pulpit. I have a freedom that I'm just so dependent and understanding that it's his life that lives inside of me. It's his life that lives inside of all of us. And that he's going to live and move and have his being in all of us, church. You believe that? You want that? All I care about is that we experience the real living God, that we get to know him, right? That we would really know him. And um, just to give a quick review, this was the last sermon we looked at in the book of Acts. We looked at the life of it, and, and you don't hear sermons on this guy, right? I'm talking to Pastor, you, never heard, you probably never heard a sermon on Stephen, right? We talked about the stoning of Stephen. And this is a picture of kind of we were left with. It was one that resonated with me when I was doing research on it. And if you remember, the church was growing and the church was flourishing. And even though the church was coming against, you know, persecution, right? 
from, um, from the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin, that was all happening. But here was this guy, Stephen, who became the first martyr in the church. And every scholar and every commentator talks about the fact that once he is martyred, once he is taken out of the picture, it's the hinge point of the entire book. Because at this point, right here, up to this point, everything has been in, in Jerusalem. And now the gospel is going to move out. The, the gospel is going to go to all areas of the earth. But the way that it happens is persecution, which is not what we want to hear. We don't want to hear that. And that's what happens with this guy, Stephen. Now can we roll into chapter 8? You ready for this? I'm going to give another sermon on a guy you probably never heard a sermon on before, Philip. How many of you have heard a sermon just on Philip, a guy? No? One of the first deacons in the church? One of the first seven deacons? Do I see any hands? You heard one? I don't know. I'm asking. I don't, I don't think so. He's not a, but he's a pretty cool dude, all right? We're going to get to him. I'm going to build up and ramp up in this sermon, so stay with me. And here we are in Acts chapter 8. Verses 1 through 4, and it says, Now Paul was consenting to his death. You don't want to miss next week, because next week I'm going to talk about the conversion of the Apostle Paul, going from Saul to Paul. Right? That's going to be a lot of fun. I don't even know if it's going to be one week. Right? At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all, notice what I underlined that word, they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, and we'll get back to that, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. What? This is crazy. So the church is now being persecuted, right? And you see there where it says that word, Luke wants us to understand that there is a scattering that is going on, but the scattering is going to create a gathering. And the scattering is going to create a gathering. And what they didn't understand in, in, in the first century and what we even see in our world today is when persecution comes against the church, that's when the church becomes more powerful. Amen. That's when the church becomes, and you've heard this before, we've shared this before. This is a quote, right? This is from Tertullian, one of the early church fathers. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and they didn't get it in the first century. They didn't understand that, but every time somebody went down, and Stephen is the first one, and other Christians are martyred, there just came out more of them, and the gospel continued to spread, and here is a map of what it looked like as it went out from Jerusalem, as Jesus told them in the beginning of Acts that it wood and it went to Samaria and it goes to Judea and it's going to go to Joppa and it's going to go to the ends of the earth. Do you see that Jesus was telling them this because the gospel, he realized and knew that God was going to get the gospel into Asia and the gospel was going to go into Africa and the gospel was going to go into Europe and eventually, even though the United States of America wasn't around then, that it was going to come here and it was going to go all over the place. The gospel of Jesus Christ was going to go all over the place. And you know what? The best example, I think, of Acts 8 today, you know what it is? It's communist China. Today, the best example of that, I hope you're going to wake up at some point. I don't know, because it's not me, it's you, all right? The best example, hey, listen, I'm not messing around. I'm just going to start calling things out, right? I'm going to start calling things out. Let's go. Let's go. It's interactive, right? Wake up. Ready? 
Well, you look at you look at what's happening in China. You look at what's happening in China after World War II, and the communist regime took over. You know what they did? They took all the Christian pastors and missionaries. They they persecuted them and they threw them out. Right? That's what happened. They threw them out and they said Christianity is done. We don't want any part of Christianity. Just let's get rid of it. And what's interesting is the people in China, they were just consumers. The missionaries were the producers. They were the ones that controlled the money. They controlled, they preached the gospel. So the Chinese people that became Christians, they didn't really have to do anything. They were more spectators. Well, when God said, all right, you want to take the missionaries out, good. That's a good thing because now what's going to happen is the consumer is going to turn into the producer and I'm going to create a movement in China that's going to knock the world over, knock their socks off with what's going to happen. And you see, it's amazing what's going on in China today. Can I show you what's going on in China today? China ended 2019 with the worst religious persecution in the country's history, but there are estimated to be over 100 million Chinese Christians. And listen, the, 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 the Communist Party has about 90 million. And you know what they estimate? Scholars estimate that in 2030, there'll be more Chinese Christians than there will be American Christians. You can't stamp out, you can't get rid of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every time you try to stop it, God says, I'm going to do something that you can't even think, see, or imagine. And that's what he's doing right now. How about what's going on? How about what's going on right now? I mentioned Mickey with the coronavirus before. Are you following what's happening in the world? How about this? Because I don't know how many of you really see this. Look at the one article: the Wuhan Christians' response to the coronavirus, shaming the Chinese government. On the left here, you see Chris Buckley. Buckley is the New York Times. Now, if you know anything about the New York Times, they are not pro-Christianity. But here is the New York Times, right? Journalist in China, and he posted two weeks ago, he tweeted this. You see a picture of a leaflet and a mask, and here is a man that is blown away by the Chinese Christians who are in the streets taking care at risk to their own peril and their own lives. They're taking care of those that are sick. They don't care. All they care about is the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what one pastor said? We, we, we haven't just started this now when the coronavirus hit. We've been doing this for 10 years, and we're not going to stop. Church, church, church. Do you realize what happens? There is a move of God going on around the world. And I pray that the same spirit that is touching the underground church over there in China, Lord, may it be, may it hit America. May it hit America hard, Lord. And I can't wait to hear more testimonies. And there are miracles that are happening even today that we're going to hear about one day about what's taking place over there because of the persecution. I ran too. The gospel is growing. I want to hear stories like, and I read a story, and I'm sorry, I'm just going off a little bit here, but there was a healing evangelist in the early 1900s. His name was John G. Lake. He's one of my favorites. And he, he uh, ministered in, out west in, in Spokane, Washington, 
right? And you can look all this stuff up. There were New York Times articles, and you know, if you're like, I don't really believe what you're going to be telling me. It was declared the healthiest city in America in 1917. There were over 100,000 healings that were documented, substantiated, reported, corroborated by other people. Over 100,000 hospitals in the city. Again, you can, this is documented. Hospitals in the city of Spokane, Washington that were shut down because there weren't enough sick people. Can you imagine that? They, the the uh, Better Business Bureau, the Better Business Bureau actually went, went to see him because they didn't believe these reports. They thought it was hocus pocus. They said, this is bogus. This can't be real. They were amazed at the findings. They were amazed. But yeah, the cessationist that God still doesn't move and he's still not in the miracle working business. I'm sorry. The gifts are still here for the church. God is still moving and he's going to have his way. I'm sorry. You know what he did too? Can I tell you this? This is kind of cool because it relates. The great flu, right, that took millions of people out in 1918, they took the virus and they put it in his hand. They took it. I mean, guy's crazy. They took the virus and they put it in his hand and it died in his hand. It dissolved and just died. Again, there's documentation for all this stuff, but that's the kind, those are the kind of stories that I want to see. And those are the kind of stories, that's the kind of faith that I'm, I, I hope that is generated and built even here in America. All right, I got to move on anyway. Okay, but that's cool, right? It's a cool picture, trying to give you a common day picture of what is going on in the book of Acts in, in chapter eight. I think it's better than you, you're, you're reacting, but okay. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now I underline the word preaching. Listen to me. This word in Greek does not mean somebody that gets up and sits, stands at a pulpit like I'm doing right now and is preaching the word. This word actually means to evangelize. This word actually means as the gospel was scattered and moving out, that everybody is gossiping the gospel, that when you were talking to somebody, you had to tell them about who Jesus Christ was and what he did in your life, that everyone, old and young, it didn't matter who you were, it didn't matter what your zip code was, it didn't matter how much money you had, it didn't matter what your gender was. It didn't matter what the color of your skin was, that Jesus had done something in your life and you had to tell people about it. That's what this means. That's what's going on here in the book of Acts. Man, may that be for us here today. So the people are evangelizing. And you know what, too? It's crazy because when God does something, in, when God radically calls you, like when he calls you into something, into the kingdom of God, he radically calls you out. A lot of times it's radical. And he calls this guy Philip in, and we're going to get to him, and I can't wait. And I'm, I'm trying to slow down, but it's hard. Now, let's just get to him. Let's just talk about him. All right, I can't wait anymore. All right, look, this is, where, this is where everything changes. All right, then it says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord, Naeem, you said that before, one accord. There they are again, and you keep seeing this in the book of Acts. Then with one accord, they heeded the, th the, the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So you know what's interesting? In the beginning of the chapter, you saw that they are weeping over Stephen, who lost his life. And he's the, he's, right, he's the first martyr. And now, right here, only a few verses later, you see people that are rejoicing 
weeping. So there's great weeping and there's grieving. But then a couple of verses later, though sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. Where is the joy of Christ in the church? Pastor Linda has been talking about that. There should be a joy that is pervasive. There should be a joy that people see and not an artificial, superficial joy, but a real joy of the life of Christ living on the inside of us coming out. You should see that. It should be evident. And that's what we see here. And then this is the same Philip that is mentioned in 6.5, right? This is the same guy that we looked at two weeks ago. Can I show you? Look at this. There's a reason why I'm showing you this. In 6.5, it says, and the saying, please, the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. So they're choosing, the, these are the first deacons in the church, right? And we looked at Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And look, look who's the next name? And Philip. And Philip. Now here is my question to you, church. Do you think these guys spent a lot of time together? Because you don't know it just from me reading the text. Do you think Stephen and Philip spent a lot of time together? Do you think they were good friends? Of course they were. These guys are really good friends. They have to be good friends. He lost one of his best friends. We don't look at it that way, but I guarantee you, it's so easy to take this out of context when it says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. He went down, he just endured one of the worst events in his life, that one of his good friends has died, has been martyred, and now he says, you know what? I'm going to take, I'm, I'm rubbing my eyes, and even though that I'm upset, and even though I don't understand, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going down to Samaria? Are you kidding me? Samaria is a place that you would never expect him to go, but I put before you that Philip was inspired by the martyrdom of Stephen. And he said, if Stephen can stand for Jesus Christ in the midst of a stoning and lose his life, then I'm going down to Samaria to a people that are our sworn enemies, and I don't care what happens. Come hell or high water, I'm going. You miss that when you read the text. It's easy to, it's easy to miss it. This is just, it's so much fun to study the Bible. And here he is in Samaria. And so the Samaritans, you know who they are? They're half-breeds, according to the Israelites. Half-breeds. The Jews and the Samaritans, remember Jesus is at the well? And he's talking to the woman, the Samaritan woman. And she is shocked that an Israelite man, not only just that, that, that a man would talk to her, but an Israelite man is going to come up and talk to her. The Samaritans only believed in the first five books of the Bible. They only believed in the Torah. They didn't believe in the rest of the Old Testament. They were, they were, poor, um, they were poor Jews from, from northern Israel, and they kind of mixed with a, a transplanted, conquered peoples. So there's this intermixing that goes on, and the real Jews look at them and say, you're not like us. You're beneath us. You're below us. They didn't like each other. So it's easy to miss this, though. He's going to a city where people hate Jews. Why would he do that? Why would Philip then go to the city of Samaria and preach Christ? And notice the reaction, the joy that takes place. There were miracles that were happening because he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit, church. We need more of the Holy Spirit in our midst. We, I don't know about you, but I need more of the Holy Spirit in my life. 
D.L. Moody said we leak, and that's why we need refillings. I don't need just a second refilling. I need a third, and I need a fourth, and I need a fifth, and I need a sixth, and I'll just keep going on. You know what Billy Graham said? Let me just show you. Now I'll go back to this. Billy Graham said before he died, he said, again, we face a dark time in the history of God's people. This is an evangelical leader, all right? But listen to what he's saying. Oh, my gosh. In spite of some encouraging signs, the forces of evil seem to be gathering for a colossal assault on the work of God in the world. Our world needs to be touched by Christians who are spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered. Church, are you that kind of Christian? Church, are you that kind of Christian? Do people know who you are and that the Spirit of God lives inside of you by your actions and the words that come out of your mouth and what you do? This should be conviction that runs over this room right now. The Holy Spirit should be convicting all of us because I was convicted when I read this. Looking at my own life. We all need to take an assessment of this in what Billy Graham is saying. We have to. And it's our time. It's our day. And then look, though, I, I pass by it. Notice what Jesus had said. Philip's in Samaria. Look what Jesus said. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus prophesied this. Jesus said this would happen. How crazy is this? Do you think, what do you think the disciples' reaction was? You probably passed over this, read this a million times. You didn't think of this. Samaria, they would have been like, no way. I'm not going to Samaria. Samaria is the last place I'm going to. I'll go anywhere, but I'm not going to Samaria. And then this movement, this movement of the church gets started. Now, can I give you the best part of the sermon? If you're half asleep, you'll probably wake up for this. Are you ready for the best part of the sermon? You ready for this? Church, you ready? This is where you see Philip. This is where you learn about him. This is where you see a new character that you've probably never heard about before, didn't know, but you're going to want to know more. He's a Hellenistic Jew, which means that he was somebody that was Jewish, but he, did not, he, was, he didn't grow up and he wasn't raised in Israel. So he's the kind of guy that would be maybe more of a priester. Maybe you see him on Christmas. Maybe you see him on Easter. He's not all that wholehearted, doesn't have all the Christianese down. God bless you. That's great. Amen. He doesn't know all the rules. He may smoke. He may drink drink a little bit, maybe, and that offends you. That's okay. I don't know. I don't know what his language was like, but here's a guy at the end of the day that loved God, and he came to know him in a real way, and he did some damage for the kingdom of God. And you move down. You go down to verse 26. Can I give you 12 verses so you get the full story, the full enchilada of what he does? Ready? It's starting in 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, arise and go toward the south along the road which comes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Luke's like, this is desert. This is, let's put it, this, this is no man's land. Nobody goes down into the desert. There's no reason to go there, okay, unless you're going to Africa. No joke, literally, unless you're going to Africa at this time. It's the only reason why you would do this. So he arose and went. Wait a second. He arose and went? He just got up and went when the angel of the Lord told him to go do it. He just did it. How many times has God told us to do things and we just don't do it? And we're asking God to speak to us. And you know what I feel like? And as I was doing my notes, I said, you know what? What about the other 30 things that God has asked us to do and told us to do that we haven't done and we still complain that he doesn't speak to us? Yeah, yeah, come on. It's a problem, right? 
So here's this guy, Philip, and he actually goes down. He went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. If you want to know what a eunuch is, kids, you can ask your parents later on at home. I'm not getting into that right now. A eunuch of great authority under uh, Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. I wish I had more time to get into all this because it's, it's, it, it's pretty cool stuff. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. I just said a lot. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. Really? Go near and overtake the chariot. Like chariots of fire. Go run up to the chariot. Why don't you go try this this week on 25? Why don't you go run up to some guy's car? Go run up to the Camry or the Escalade and knock on the window and start talking to them. Watch what happens. This is how you get like, in trouble. This is how you get shot. This is how you get injured. The guy's crazy. Come on, you're going to laugh, but it's funny, right? The guy just goes up to It's crazy. You can't make this up. So he run, then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. Overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Hey, do you understand what you are reading? <laughs> like, like this is, really? This is how you know the Bible is true, too. You're making something up. You don't put this crazy story in there. Right? You leave it out. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Wow, the humility. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. My favorite part of the story, that just that phrase, and come sit with him. The place in the scripture which you read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer it's, is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? This doesn't happen every day either. People become Christians. They don't just right away say, where is the water? Where can I get baptized? I want to go to Spring Lake Golf Course. Let's go in the water right now. Doesn't happen. Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Oh, I love it, and baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Wow, what do I have time to say to you with this because there's so much here. Can I just give you, you want, you want everything or you, just, you want to go home? No. Should I just end right now and pray? Should I just pray? No. You want a little bit? You sure? Want some of this? First of all, can I tell you, who do you want to hear about first? I never, I've never asked you this, but who do you want to hear about first? You have two characters in the story. You want to hear about the eunuch? All right, let's, let's talk about the eunuch. First of all, you, it's easy to miss this. The fact that he owns, has a scroll of Isaiah, he, what you miss is he went to Jerusalem to go to the temple. He has made a long distance journey from Africa. Can you imagine what the people back at home said to him? We have our own gods here. You're going to go get in a chariot with, and he had an entourage, by the way. Like, if you've ever read this story before, like I have a, where's my little, I'm going to put my picture up here. This guy, first of all, had an entourage. He is not by himself. 
But I guarantee you there were people that said to him, why are you making this long journey all the way to Jerusalem to go to the temple? This is a God-fearing man. This is a man of affluence and influence. How did he get a scroll of Isaiah? Do you realize how few there are of them? So this guy somehow, when he went to Jerusalem, paid a hefty sum of money just to get this. He has a chariot, which is not something that you ha everybody has in their day. He has his entourage. So he is the CFO of, of, of this country. He has a lot of money. He has a lot of influence. He has, he has people that work for him. And the fact that he owns this scroll is absolutely crazy. What though would make a man travel thousands of miles to go to a temple and to meet a God is because he had everything but was still empty. He was dissatisfied, and I don't know if there's anybody in here that you feel like you have everything that life has to offer, but you know what? There's still an emptiness inside, Come on. because that's what was going on with this guy in the story. I love how ferocious this man is, though, that he's willing to take a risk and go and get in his chariot and travel thousands of miles to meet the living God, but he goes there, and what do you think they said to him? You can't come in the temple. You don't see that when you read the story. Did you know he couldn't go in the temple? He gets to the temple. He doesn't know all the rules. They're like, you're not a Jewish person. You can't come into the temple. You can't worship here. So here is the guy. Follow me. Listen, you want to know the Bible? Come on. It's, it's not just life application all the time. Let's, let's get into the story. So the guy is coming back home after being so upset that he wasn't allowed to get in the temple and meet God. And God says, I'm bigger than what you know and what you think, and I'm going to meet you on a road you never expected. He meets him on a desert road, and he sends this lunatic Philip to run after him in his Nikes. Come on. It's crazy. How many times have you read this story and you missed it? It's so easy to miss this. So I'm reading it over and over again, and I'm like, wow. And I love the fact, too, I, I mentioned before, what did I do? With, I, I mentioned before about God speaking to us, and I love what one writer said, Anne Lamott. She says, why is it that when we talk to God, we're said to be praying, but when God talks to us, we're schizophrenic? <laughs> How true is that? How true is that? God still speaks. He's still looking for people that will have an attentive ear to what he's saying. The Spirit wants to move. The Spirit wants to talk. The Spirit is the host here in the meeting. We're not the host. The Holy Spirit is. And may we be a people that are attentive to what he wants. Not our plans, but his plans. And I love that when I see that here in Philip. You know who Philip is? The antithesis of? You know who he's the opposite of, Tim? You ready for this? You know who he is? He's the anti-Jonah. Yeah. Ooh. You remember Jonah? Go to, hey, go to Nineveh. Where does Jonah go? I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going thousands of miles that way. There is no way in hell, in God's green earth, that I'm going over there. This guy is told once to go, and what is, go meet some guy in the desert. Yo, go to the Sahara Desert. You're going to see some dude that's in a chariot. He's a eunuch. What? He doesn't say that. He just goes. You think you would have just went if he told you, if you were in the story? You think you would have just went? How many people think they would have just went? So I can just call you out and make fun of you because you're lying. <laughs> I wouldn't have. I don't think I would have. We think we would have. I don't know. Just go. Get up and go. He never asks. And you know what? I think God still 
is putting Phillips in schools, Mr. Schuster, in jobs, communities. He's still putting Phillips in places, and he's asking, you ready? You know what the title of my sermon is? I waited till the end to give it to you. He's looking for chariot chasers. Oh, now I'm going to hit you. Now you got to the good. Now, now, now I'm going to hit you. I waited. I waited. God is looking for chariot chasers today. He wants to see people that see the lost and the broken. And you know what? That we can tell them, I have something for you. And we're not condescending. But to the person that their marriage is in trouble, you know what? We're to be chariot chasers. Come sit with me. You don't have to have all the answers. Yeah, you know what? You never want to go stand and sit in a church. That's okay. But we're looking for chariot chasers. To the guy that's up to one o'clock in the morning looking at porn, you don't have to have your life all together. You can come here and meet the risen Jesus. To the person that has problems with their kids. I don't know what your issue is, if it's alcoholism, if it's whatever, but I know that there is a Jesus that wants to meet you on your road. But he uses it with chariot chasers. He wants to see who is going to be a chariot chaser. Church, are you a chariot chaser? Are you a chariot chaser? When's the last time you told somebody about coming to church with you? Ooh. You know what's happened? This church started with chariot chasers. And I'm not saying, listen, we need to be a people. What if we just asked or told one person this week, we chased one chariot this week? Got really silent. I'm not doing that. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers. It could be, I, had to got, I got in a conversation, I'll just tell you, me, personally, I got into a conversation, a guy came in my room, a colleague, and he started talking about his kid. You're right, I'm not even looking at the clock. You're right, if I just go for a few more minutes? Great, Great. thanks. So th- there's, this, there's this guy, and he starts talking about, um, he's like, man, he's got two daughters, and he's, he's talking about his kids, and how hard it is, and man, I just, I, I don't know, it's, it's so difficult, this and that. And I started telling him my experience. And I said, hey, listen, man, I've told you before that, you know, my wife and I, we go see a Christian counselor, one of the best things we ever did. And I got into this whole conversation, and I was a little bit sneaky, right, in how I kind of was throwing the gospel in. And I sent him the number, and I'm talking to him, and da-da-da. And I'm giving him the gospel, but he doesn't even know it. Because I've had a relationship. I'm not saying just, if you want to, may God may call you to go up to somebody you don't know at all. But I've, I wait for moments and I plant seeds with people like that. I try to. And may we be a people that do that. That's how we chase chariots. That's what it looks like. We don't want to be religious people that turn people off. But we can bring the love of Christ to other people. And you don't realize how many, Billy Graham said this too, and I'm paraphrasing. How many people are looking and dying for somebody to, to talk into their lives and give them the gospel. The enemy wants us to think that everyone is going to be opposed. People are hurting, people are damaged, and people are waiting. They're, they're keeping it all inside. It's all bottled up. We need to be chariot chasers. Thank you, John. You don't have to have your life all cleaned up. And you know what I love, too? The dude gets baptized. Did he take a class? What was the class that he took? This is, how you, this is what you do when you're a Christian. He said, no, no, no. You want to get baptized? I'm sorry. You're going to have to take this class and then enroll in this class and enroll in this class. Well, he asked him, do you really believe in Jesus and what Jesus did? And he talked to him and he took the man. He accepted the man for where he was at. 
You know what, too? There are chariot chasers in this place. You know what? When you get up at those doors, you get up there. Hey, Shaquan, you know what you are? Dude, you're a chariot chaser today. You're a chariot chaser because when people walk in the door, I don't know, I'm looking around the crowd, I don't know, maybe there are people that you don't come here much or you've never been here before. When you walk in the door, you have somebody like this guy that's a chariot chaser. Lebo, you're a chariot chaser. Any other greeter, anybody that does anything, when you do the offering and you just smile at somebody, you say something little, you're a chariot chaser. And there are chariot chasers in this place. May we continue and I commend you. Hey, those people that go with our kids, they're chariot chasers. You get up and you do kidmo, you're a chariot chaser. May you continue to be chariot chaser, chariot chasing church. It's what he's called us to be. Can I end with a story now? Because I just made this story fit in because I wanted to. <laughs> made this story fit in. I need somebody on the keyboard though. I can't tell this story unless there's somebody on the keyboard. Tommy, I love you. I was like waiting for you to just pop up. Well. Can I talk about a guy, that you, a, a, an amazing chariot chaser? It, it really does fit. But let me show you a picture of the guy. You've probably never seen or heard this name before. Pastor Lynn, have you ever heard this name before, John Hyde? You familiar with him? Oh, you know Hyde. Okay. How many of you know the name John Hyde? Heard it? Maybe heard the name? Some of you are like, ah, maybe hazy, maybe, right? Maybe you don't know the full story. They called him the apostle of prayer or the man that never sleeps. Not advocating that we never sleep, Okay. But here is this guy, the, the amazing story of this man. He's famous for this prayer. Ready? Oh, God, give me souls lest I die. Oh, God, give me souls lest I die. It was his constant prayer and a burden that he lived under. You see, John Hyde grew up here in the States, and this is what's interesting. He was the son of a devout Presbyterian minister. And his dad's prayer was that there would be, that the harvest was plentiful, but the laborers were few. And he prayed that God would send people out into the mission field and that they would go out and they would spread the gospel. This is in the you know, 1880s. Little did he know that the big answer to his prayer was in his own house. It was his own son. Little did Pastor Linda know that who is going to help in the secession plan in the church and help lead in the next generation was her youngest child, least likely in the house to have any part to play in this. It's amazing. No, come on. It's amazing how things play out in the kingdom. Well, he, he felt like God was calling him. He told his dad. And then in 1892, he sailed over to India, which was then India, which is now today, present day Pakistan. And on his way, as he was going over on the boat, he prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He prayed for fire to come on him. He prayed for a new anointing in his life. And God did it. Isn't it amazing if we just open our mouths that the power of life and death is in the tongue? That the power, if we speak things over our lives and we ask, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open. My people called by my name, would what? Would pray, seek his face, turn from their wicked ways. The Bible says we will hear from heaven and he will forgive our sins and he will heal our land. Church, I'm not done. I'm on the beginning of the story. I can't focus. He goes to Silicet, India, which is then Silicet, India. And he's devoted to, he's so devoted to prayer, they'd have to tell him, you got to eat. 
John, John, you need to eat some food. All he would do, he'd be prostrate on the floor on his face. All day he'd be praying because all he wanted to do was to know God and he was so burdened with all of the souls that were there that he was so influential that the Indian people that were there, the leaders, they said, here is a man that all he does is pray for our people. They, they felt embarrassed that we don't even pray that much for our own flesh and blood and here is this foreigner that all he cares about is that people would come to know who God is. John Hyde. He would pray, God, give me one soul today. The next day he asked for two. And then eventually, you know how many people? Over a million people over a 20-year period between 1892 and 1912 would come to become Christians because of the ministry of a man that many of you have never heard before. An amazing revival that took place. He got up the first time to preach. You know what he said, Pastor Linda? I'm sorry, but the Holy Spirit has given me no message for you today. And the people looked around and they were a little shocked. But guess what happened? The Holy Spirit took over the meeting. And people got up like we see at Open Church. I'm telling you, listen, church, I can't wait to see how we grow as a community and a fellowship on Wednesday night as the gifts start to move more, as the Holy Spirit becomes more manifest, and I believe miracles are going to happen. I'm not stopping until I see it. I don't know about you. I'm not stopping. Pastor Linda talked about George Muller. George Muller, sometimes his prayers, it took 40, 50 years for them to come to fruition. And here was this man, and they would pray. And you know what happened? The conviction of sin that was in the audience, people would be weeping because they were so under conviction of the Holy Spirit for who they were. I want some of that in our church today. I want some conviction of sin that who we are and how Andrew Murray said it. You know what a revival is? A revival is a revolution where we cast off worldliness and selfishness. Come on, church. I don't want the same old thing in my life. And you may think I'm crazy. I don't care what you think. I'm at that point as the preacher. I can get up here and deliver sermons and go, well, that, that's, I don't care. I don't care about my sermon and what you think of it. I just care that you touch God. Wasn't always the case in my ministry. I cared. I'm done caring what people think about a sermon. I just want you to touch and experience God. So listen. People were saved in the early 1900s, you may have heard of some of the revivals that took place. How about Azusa Street, 1901? How about the Welsh Revival? He left, now listen to me, he prophesied that there was going to be an amazing move of God, a double portion of the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out. He said this in the, in the mid-1890s, listen to me, in 1901, you had Azusa Street, one of the greatest revivals in the history of the world. Four years prior to that, you had the Welsh Revival in Wales. That happened. This man prophesied that that would take place. He went home, and in 1912, he went, he, uh, 1913, he went to be with the Lord. When he went home in 1912, he, had a, he, he went to the doctors. He wasn't feeling well. He had a malignant brain tumor. He died months later. But the most amazing thing, and the thing I was most touched by his story was, when he passed, and this is his actual tombstone in Carthage, Illinois, praying Hyde of India. May that be said of us. All I want to do now is pray. 
All I want to do is pray. I want to pray to God that things would happen and we'd actually see him move in our midst. Why can't it happen here? Church, but we can't do it on our, you got it. We have to be a team in this. We have to be together. But you get in your prayer closets and be praying for your kids, for that, for your homes, for God to move in our midst. Anyway, you know what the craziest part was in the autopsy? You know what? Listen to this. His heart had shifted. The doctors were amazed, and they said once they knew his story, from the hours of praying on the floor on his face that his heart in his body body literally shifted so a man that was just an ordinary dude said i'm gonna pray until i move the heart of god church that's all i care about as one of your preachers as one of the pastors in this church i'm there's a shift in my life Something has shifted. I'm 46. I'm going to be 47 years old. That's all I really care about. It's all I want to see. I didn't put this in my heart. I don't know. I don't want to be like this. I'm obsessed with this in our lives, with us taking our walk more seriously, with things that are happening in the world. You see what's happening in the Middle East even this morning? With Turkey, I'm, I'm texting my cousin what's going on with Turkey and Syria and Iran and Russia. Things are happening at a, an amazing pace, and we just think it's life is normal. And I'm sick of talking to people, and they go, oh, the coronavirus, it's no big deal. And you know what? It may not be a big deal. But if it's not this, it's going to be something else. And you see what happened to the stock market as it went down, right? It went down, right? Pre precipitous decline in the stock market. Things are moving. We are. It doesn't take much in our world for things to, to be shaken God is shaking everything and we're asleep at the wheel Laodicea we're lukewarm at best we're gonna have to answer for this y'all we're gonna have to answer for this why don't we stand up Lord Lord my, I just pray father that you would create a remnant here in this place Lord, I pray for every church, though. That has been my heart, church. This isn't a city on a hill community church thing. I'm praying for all the churches in the area. I would love for there, for there to be more unity among the churches in our area where pastors would come together and we put aside. It's not about how many people come to our church, but it's about just that people would get to know him and wherever they go and that God would move and Lord I'm praying that that would happen Lord I ask that you would create unity because the Holy Spirit doesn't like this unity oh spirit of the living God have your way start with us convict us of our sin change our hearts make us want you more help us see what's real and important this is our one and only life and we're going to have to answer for it and we're never going to regret putting you first in our lives Father, we don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be spat out because I was lukewarm. Lord, I don't want that for your people that are here today. But I'm sorry, there is so much lukewarmness in the church. And we put a mask on when we come to church and we act one way. And then we get out of the church and we're with other people in the world, we act another way. I'm asking, Lord, that you convict us in a real way even this week, Father. Lord, I ask that tears would flow. Lord, that not, not that you would shame us, but Lord, that we would see that you want to do something in our midst and that you want to reshape our hearts 
Lord, you want to do a new thing. We're asking for that new wineskin, Lord. And I pray, Father, for even our meetings on Wednesday night. Oh, Lord, may you continue to move. May they continue to be authenticity and vulnerability. May people continue to come and realize they're not spectators, that this is a movement that we carry together. Father, do what only you can do in our midst. Worship team, why don't we come up and let's sing a song as we head out of this place. Why don't we, what are we singing? Waymaker again? Yeah. What are we singing? I just figured that's the way we're going. Even when you don't see anything happening, even when you don't feel like anything, things happen just now. You may not feel it in your, but things are being deposited. God is depositing things on Wednesday night. Pastor Linda is talking. Somebody gets up and shares. People are depositing things. God wants a hungry people, a hungry, expecting people. Are you going to come to that next open church meeting expecting? I can't wait for the, I can't wait for the meeting where there's a miracle and something happens and people go, wow, I, I can't believe I missed that one. It's coming. It's coming. Why? I'm telling you, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, I'm not stopping until I see him make a way for us here on Long Island. I didn't put this in my heart. He did. He didn't put it in their heart. This is just who he is and he wants to move. But he needs it. We talk about Leonard Ravenhill. We talk so much about, about revival. But he said, how many people are burdened with it? I'm burdened with it. Like I've never been burdened before to see God move. How many of you are going to pray because you're burdened with him moving? How many of us are going to pray because you want to see him do something different? Aren't you sick of the same old thing coming to church and just hearing the same old stuff? Come on, church. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.